In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Last week I told you the story of one of my favorite monks, Pater Alban, entered this, the monastery at age 70, was ordained a priest at age 75, finally realizing the lifelong grace that God had given him to be um, a celibate servant of God, to be a monk and to be a priest, having been prevented from doing so after high school because of conscription in the German army, and then having written a nasty gram to Adolf Hitler, having been uh, committed to a mental institution for quite a while. He was dedicated not just to a personal dream, not just to some uh, desire for self-fulfillment. He was more than just dedicated to the church as an institution. He was permanently bound to Christ and his church, knowing that there is no salvation outside of that because of his relationship to Jesus. Yesterday, the church celebrated a great martyr, St. Agnes of Rome. She lived from 291 to 304, a very young hero. St. Ambrose and others who give very recent accounts of her life and death describe her as either being 12 or 13, which um, would depend on had her birthday happened that year in 304. Tragically, it's just a few years before Christianity would be legalized in the Roman Empire. But beautifully, she was typical of so many young women who had bound themselves to Christ in a promise of virginity because she paid for that promise with her life. A rich man had desired her in marriage and she refused because of her commitment to Jesus. She was paraded through the streets and still refused. And then eventually in the end, the words that are ascribed to her by fourth century witnesses, Christ made my soul beautiful with the jewels of grace and virtue. I belong to him whom the angels serve. Her declaration wasn't a matter of fierce tenacity. It was the serene statement of fact. In the second and third centuries, Romans actually had been encountering quite a phenomenon of young women who wanted to belong exclusively to Christ. So much so that in the third century, the Roman emperor forbade Christian missionaries from visiting single women at their homes because Christian women were afforded great dignity and legal standing that they didn't know otherwise in a relatively sophisticated society. And one of the great examples of their dignity was that they could not be pressed into marriage. Widows were not viewed as a burden. Young women weren't valued only because they were desired by a man. 
their decision not to marry or their decision to be a consecrated virgin was respected and protected. These weren't women who just simply wanted their wealth to themselves or who wanted men to be gone from their lives. These were women who had a deep love for Jesus Christ and his church and wanted to belong to him exclusively. Old women and very young women. As much as we are aware of how young people are deciding to leave the church, according to one survey published last month, of those who have left the church in their teenage or young 20s, one in four had decided to leave by the age of 10. Our young people need to be given a serious account of the faith. Not only why it makes sense, but also how it's lived fully. And how the life of grace is a foretaste of heaven. And nothing, nothing should get in our way to live this life full of God's blessings. Young people can make this decision. I belong to Jesus. I belong to his church. In the same way that Simon and Andrew, James and John left everything because they were convinced that Jesus was from heaven. The testimony of St. John the Baptist had sealed the deal. There obviously was much more for them to learn about him. But they knew enough to know that I can renounce my life to follow him. And then continue to do so every day from then on. That is not just simply a decision for those who already have a career or already have an education. In fact, every one of us at any age beyond reason can at least know that Jesus died for my sins. Only through him can I go to heaven. Only through his sacraments and his church can I receive the grace that make it, make it possible for me to be reconciled to God. Although there are many other variables in life and many other decisions to make, this I know, I will always belong to Christ. I will always belong to his church, no matter what. That's not just for people who have read a lot of books. That's for people who know Jesus. And it's not a statement of of fierce tenacity. It's not a statement that's, that's holding back fear. It's the serene and calm matter of fact. Christ made my soul beautiful. With the jewels of grace and virtue, I belong to him whom the angels serve. This isn't the neo-pagan statement that God made me perfect and I'm, I'm innocent by, at birth. No, that's not true. We're, we're beautiful and smart and prone to great wickedness, great deceit, great vanity and pride and ambition. 
Christ made my soul beautiful with the jewels of grace and virtue, with the blood of the cross and the sacraments that come to us through his church. Our soul at birth is dignified, noble, possessing great potential, amazing, but nothing compared to a soul in the state of grace. St. Paul was concerned about this belonging to Christ in the proper way. It's not adequate to say, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Peter, or I belong to Christ. It sounds synonymous, but we can attribute appropriate uh, attributions to each one of them. It's not sufficient to say, I belong to to Paul. I know the truth. Forget about your church. Or I belong to Peter. I belong to the one who has power and authority, regardless of what he says. Or I belong to Apollo, some great, fantastic, heretical teacher, but he's got great music at his worship service. And it's not even sufficient to say, I belong to Christ, to the exclusion of his church and all the other believers. No, I belong to Jesus Christ and his body, which is the church. It is impossible to belong to Christ and not belong to the church that he established. It's impossible truly to know the truth taught by St. Paul and not be governed by Peter and, and worship Christ our Lord. It's impossible to be properly governed by the vicar of Christ and not cling to the truth that is taught by Jesus and cling to his grace. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Was Pope Francis crucified for you? Was Pope Benedict crucified for you? Was Pope St. John Paul II crucified for you? No, only Jesus Christ. All the popes are bound to his truth and will be held accountable to their fidelity. Friday, the church celebrated Pope St. Fabian, a martyr. He died in the year 250, 50 years before St. Agnes. Is his name counted in the Roman canon in the long Eucharistic prayer that you always hear me pray with all the names of all the saints? No, St. Agnes is. In the first 500 years of the church, when this Eucharistic prayer was established, it wasn't that big of a deal to have a pope who's a saint. Now, many of the, many of the canonized or saint popes were martyrs, nevertheless. In a few hundred years, that would change. From the year 800 to 1800, in a thousand years, there were five popes who were canonized. So if the Roman canon had developed, they probably would have added every holy pope just because we need to pray for our popes. As much as we're aware of people teaching falsehood or great dangers posing, uh, posed to, to believers or to institutions or to the church or to the papacy, our, our everlasting commitment to Christ and his church 
can't be based on circumstances or favorite things or favors we expect to receive. It always has to be based on what captures the heart of a young soul, the love of Jesus. And so I encourage you to repeat in your heart these words of St. Agnes that bind us to our Lord and also properly understood to each other. Christ made my soul beautiful with the jewels of grace and virtue. I belong to him whom the angels serve. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.